good to see everyone, and we have a lot going on in the midst of, I know it's vacation and some people are out and joining us online and all of that, but um, please keep track. Um, and if you have anyone graduating, it uh, doesn't matter if it's sixth grade or two PhDs or whatever, we want to celebrate you. We started this grad night during COVID when, um, remember, the people were missing graduations and all of that stuff, and we thought it'd be kind of nice to do something for them. And then it was so good, we just kept it. And uh, so we want to celebrate all of our graduates that are moving to the next ministry. Um, and uh, so that is open. If you have someone that is graduating in your family, please use the QR code, let us know, um, you know, in case, you know, whatever, they're, they're missing on the list, just to confirm. And secondly, anyone and everyone's welcome to come. So it does, you don't have to be related or anything, but if you have a good friend or friend's child or someone's graduating, you're welcome to come and bless them and join us. So you could sign up for that as well. And uh, we're going to have some fun today. You see some of our uh, sisters, they came to our first service and they're setting up outside and uh, we're going to have some fun today after as well. And so please stick around. And if you find something out there, you're like, uh, probably don't need it. Um, just, just buy it anyways, okay? So today, you have uh, the full blessing to be materialistic today and uh, be generous in all of that. Um, and please thank uh, our, our uh, sisters out there who are working hard on that. Today, we are going to be talk, talking about the topic of mercy and grace. The thing that we need most in all of our relationships, any type of relationship, your dear friends, your family, your parents, um, obviously with God, the one thing that we all need and are desperate for is mercy and grace. Uh, mercy is defined in this way. They're, you know, they're used interchangeably in the Bible, but the difference of the two words, and if we've been in church, we use these words loosely, but this is how we could define it. Mercy is not giving sinners what they do deserve. So it's God holding back punishment or wrath. That's mercy. So you deserve something, you deserve a punishment or a judgment, but God in his mercy holds it back. Whereas grace, sometimes it's used kind of like mercy, but it's a little different. Grace is giving sinners what they do not deserve. Giving to sinners what they do not deserve. It's like a, a parent or, a, um, you know, one of the kids deserved uh, the special snack, but you get one as well right? And the sibling gets a gift as well, just because. And they get grace. And we need this more than anything. We need this in our closest of relationships. Think of your most intimate, closest friends and family members. The ones that you don't have to impress, the ones that you don't have to go and uh, win over to you. What is it? It's grace and mercy. They demonstrate grace and mercy all the time. Uh, and it is not about me trying to win them over. So this story today is about that. Um, what grace and mercy is not is it's exactly the opposite of what we, in our culture, use often. We talk about karma. And we often, in the world today, love to use karma or want karma when someone else deserves it, right? And we love it if someone cuts you off and the police will pull them over. You ever get like this where you're on the freeway or, and something, there's a bad traffic jam and you see someone driving up the elbow, the elbow, the shoulder, right? They're driving up the shoulder. 
you want to give them an elbow, but they're driving up the shoulder. And you're like, what do you always say? I catch myself saying, where is the police when they need them? You know, they need to catch those guys because they're cutting in line and they're going to delay my life for five seconds, right? And so they're cutting up. And if they happen to get pulled over, what do we say? Ah, karma. Yes, the world's justice system that's out there in this cosmic world is where karma. And we're so happy. I catch myself watching YouTube videos of Oh, instant karma videos of people who cut someone off and get pulled over or, or wreck their car. And, oh, karma. And it's so satisfying. But that's not how it always works, is it? It doesn't always work in that way. You don't always get what you deserve. And you definitely do not always get what's owed to you. I mean, the authors in the Bible, in, in the book of Psalms, for example, there's numerous times where they are crying out, God, why are my enemies doing so well? Why are they thriving? It's as if you're blessing them, God. They deserve karma, but it's not happening. Think about the followers of Jesus when Jesus tells them to love your enemies, to bless those who have persecuted you. That's not karma. That's mercy and grace. And when we don't have mercy and grace, uh, we do three things. And um, we're going to see this here. We, we live in fear and we try to avoid God or the person that we are trying to earn mercy and grace from. Secondly, we try to seek approval of others. And thirdly, we try to justify ourselves. I am worthy. I deserve something. Right? And we see it in this story today. Um, remember a few weeks ago that Joseph, who had become number two in Egypt, remember his brother sold him off as a slave. He had gone through all these hardships in his late teenage and 20s. And he now, by God's grace, becomes the number two guy in Egypt. He is able to interpret dreams, and by God's grace, he comes up with a plan, and Pharaoh now elevates him to his right-hand man, and Egypt is collecting all this food. They have amassed enough food for all the nations around them to come and buy food seven years later. And so what had happened is now his long-lost brothers and father, Jacob, they run out of food. They have to go to Egypt. They go to Egypt the first time. Joseph recognizes his brothers. They don't recognize him. They think he's an Egyptian ruler. They can't fathom that's him. And so when he sends them off with food, he says, I want they tell him, we had another brother named Benjamin. They all had different moms. They all had different mothers. Except Benjamin and Joseph had the same mother. And so Joseph says, I want to see him bring him. And he said, oh, we can't bring him. He's dad's favorite. Dad won't send him. And he basically says, okay, Simeon, I'm going to keep you here until you go and bring them. And he keeps one of them imprisoned here, held captive in Egypt, sends them all back. Now, you would think, now that's where we left off a few weeks ago. And you would think that they would have the sense of urgency to hurry back and get their brother back. But what we see in the passage that we're looking at, and we're going to look at the whole chapter, really. Well, we didn't read all of it. What we see is first of all, that this is the background, they're living in fear. They don't want to face Joseph, they're living in fear. And we see this here. They should be heading right back, but when do they go back? It tells us in verse 1, Now the famine was severe in the land, and when they had eaten the grain that they had brought from Egypt, their father said... So basically, they're not going back, and them running out of food out of desperation, is now forcing them to go back. 
Isn't this kind of shocking? Imagine if you are held captive in another country and now your siblings and your father is there and they say, hurry back, get me out, yeah, yeah, yeah. And they go and they ration their food and they eat all of it. And the only reason they're coming back is not to get you, but they got to come back to get more food. If you've ever had that happen where you have absolutely, you open your drawer, you run out of socks and underwear and you're absolutely out of socks and you're like, I have to do the laundry now. I cannot go anywhere. And that's the situation that they're in. They ran out of food. And it is in their scarcity that they are forced to face this hardship. And they're avoiding Joseph. Who don't, they don't even realize it's Joseph. They're avoiding the whole situation. They need to go. They can't fathom that they would receive mercy and grace. They thought they would receive judgment and punishment. So they don't want to go. And they avoid it at all costs. And so the dialogue happens, and Judah says in verse 3, The man solemnly warned us, saying, You shall not see my face unless your brother is with you. And if you face your brother with us, we will go down and buy you food. And he's giving the dad the report. That man, they call him. It's their brother. They don't even know. It's Joseph. The man said, he solemnly warned us, Don't come back unless you bring your brother. Verse 6, Israel. Remember, Jacob was given the name Israel, and sometimes he's called Jacob, sometimes he's called Israel. Some scholars have tried to wrestle with this, literally the one that means to wrestle with God, right? The deceiver, Jacob, has become the one who wrestles with God. Why do they call him at different names? Um, is he closer to, the, to God at certain times? We're not exactly sure. But he is called Israel here. This is Jacob. And he says to him, why did you treat me so badly as to tell the man that you had another brother in there? Now, going back and forth, they're blaming each other. No one wants to face the man. And it is in any relationship where we need grace and mercy. And if we don't understand that, we don't want to face the man. And let's put this now in our context with God. I know a lot of people that say, I don't want to go back to church. I want to act as if God doesn't exist, though I do believe. And I want to act like I am not a believer, though I would check off that I'm a Christian in a heartbeat. But I don't want to face God until I figure things out on my own. And really, that's what's happening here. The man in power, the man with everything, they say, we don't want to go back. We're not ready to go back. He might punish us. And he says in verse 10, if we had not delayed, we would have returned twice. We could have gone back and forth twice. And so we see a picture of them just procrastinating. Uh, They don't know what to do here. Um, Secondly, we see here uh, that they are now seeking the approval of the man. What happens when we need grace and mercy and we don't think about it is we go and try to seek approval of others. Uh, Our world, especially today, is consumed with the approval of others. How many likes am I going to get? How many followers do I have? And it is, you could literally count the approvals now. And it was the same back then as it is today. They want to go and find and seek man's approval. They don't even know who this guy is. They want to go and say, oh, can we be accepted by you? And the first thing that they do before they go back. Now think about this, the, the irony of this. They're going to go to a place where they, it is the 
it has the most food in the world. It's in abundance. You remember a few chapters ago, they lost, they couldn't keep track. They had so much food. And what do they do? They go, and the first thing they want to bring in verse 11, the father says to them, if it must be so, then do this. Take some of the choice fruits of the land in your bag. Carry a present down to the man. A little balm, a little honey, gum, myrrh, pistachio nuts, and almonds. They're going to go to where there is food, and they're going to go bring a little bit of food. Can you see the irony in this? Moses, as he writes this, tells us it wasn't a lot of food. They said, take just a little bit. You can almost see now uh, Jacob saying, well, don't take all of it. Don't take all the almonds. Those are my favorite. Lightly salted, right? You know, the wasabi ones. Like, don't take all of them, right? Just take, take those. Take the other ones. Pistachio, don't take all of them. Don't take the ones with the salt and pepper and everything. Just take the other ones. So they're going to take bags of fruit. They're going to take bags of nuts, some balm and some myrrh, and they're taking all a little bit of stuff to Egypt where it is overflowing. And so everyone comes and they're saying, this place, oh my gosh, you know, it is so much here. And yet they're trying to win the approval of others. We have oftentimes uh, have friends, you might have a friend who, has a little bit of money and they try to buy their friends and you could see it. They try to impress their friends. I'll buy you something. Come be my friend. We know people that, uh, you know, might use their looks and they might use their looks to go boyfriend after boyfriend after boyfriend to gain some kind of approval. That am I worthy? Am I valuable? And we see this in our society and that this is true with work. But we want to prove ourselves. Am I working hard enough? Am I making enough? Am I spending enough? Do others know that I'm spending in this way? John Orberg said that uh, approval is living in bondage to uh, what others think of them. Example of this I think about is a, a movie back in the day, Goodwill Hunting. It is a classic. The story that uh, of a uh, young man named uh, Will Hunting who uh, works as a janitor at MIT and he is surrounded, but he's a genius. But he doesn't have the pedigree. He's not enrolled. And the story of him late night seeing this math uh, question that's put up and the professor puts this up and says, if anyone can solve this, right, you're going to uh, get a lot of favor. And He's a janitor and while he's mopping the floors, he figures this out and he writes it out. And the story of him, then he meets a gal who's graduating out of all schools, Harvard, and she's going to go to Stanford for med school, and he's trying to win her approval, and it's back and forth. He doesn't know how. He has nothing to impress her with. And he learns what love and grace and mercy is through that story. It is in Proverbs 29, 25. It says that the fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. The fear of man lays a snare. Here we see that they are so afraid of the man that it's a snare, it's a trap. It's, they, they cannot, literally cannot move. They will not even go back to confront their fears and they are stuck. The fear of man is a, is a snare. Uh, you're afraid to do anything. You're afraid to move on. And they now go back because they have to. They've ran out of food. They go back and they meet now Joseph again. 
And this time they had brought Benjamin, and it is an emotional time for Joseph. This was now the younger brother he never met. This is the one that replaced him. This son is going to, this brother of his was become the son of his mother that now is taking his place. Maybe he could see some resemblance with himself and he is weeping and back and forth and you see the drama in this story of what Joseph is going through. They still don't recognize Joseph. And then he brings him in and he calls him in and he says, we're going to have a feast. But he calls him into the house. The guys now, the brothers are terrified and they start trying to justify themselves. They act like they've earned something when they were guilty. And... Uh, they approach Joseph's steward or his assistant and they start pleading their case. Can I be justified in this way? And it says in verse 18, and the men were afraid because they were brought to Joseph's house and they said, it is because of the money which was replaced in our sacks at the first time that we are brought in. So they're thinking we're going in to be punished so that he may, what, assault us and fall upon us to make us servants and seize our donkeys. So they're saying, when Joseph called them into the house, they're saying, oh my gosh, it's coming. And they try to justify themselves. Their imagination is running wild. And they say, he's going to seize our donkeys, make us slaves. He's going to take all that we came. And they try to now explain. Verse 19, so they went up to the steward of Joseph's house and spoke with him at the door of the house. Can you talk to him? And said, oh my Lord, we came down the first time to buy food. And when we came to the lodging place, we opened our sacks. And there was each man's money in the mouth of the sack. Our money is full weight. So we brought it again with us. And we brought more money down with us to buy food. We do not know who, puts, who put our money in our sacks. So he is trying to justify themselves. Or they are trying to justify themselves to him. They want him to say, oh, okay, oh. Yeah, you deserve something. You don't deserve the punishment. The fear of man has laid a snare in their minds and they think, I'm going to go and we're going to get what we deserve. Karma is going to happen to us. And they try to justify their well-being. You know, uh, when I first graduated college, um, I, I worked a full-time job for a year. My parents told me, before you go into ministry, go get a full-time job, see what it's like. And it was great advice. I, I worked. I, I worked in a, a nonprofit youth center uh, in, in the heart of Koreatown and setting up these programs. And I had to do the commute and go there and, and look at my paycheck and say, oh, my gosh, it's taxes, you know, and see what it's like and the value of a weekend for people who are working in this way and so on and so forth. <clears throat> One of the things I did was set up programs for at-risk youth and We'd gather these gangbangers and wannabe gangbangers and try to tell them, don't be a gangbanger and, and so on. You know, that's what it was. And I was like, can you fill out this form so we get the grant money? You know, like, hurry up, fill out, bring your friends. Um, and they'd all come. And uh, I had to run an internship program. So all these people, all these students from UCLA would sign up to come and be an intern. Um, but we ha I had two um, volunteers that would come, uh, you know, and they would be on the rotation. And uh, they were two Mormon um, missionaries, you know, the guys, the young men on the, the bikes usually um, with their short sleeve white shirts and ties and they, with their name badge, they call themselves elder and they go around. And I had two of them. 
And, you know, this is a secular place. I'm not supposed to talk about religion. I'm already on fire for God at this time, and I want to debate them so bad, but I'm not supposed to. And I would pick them up, and they would tell me their schedule. And after, in the beginning, I was like, oh, my gosh, why are these Mormons coming here, you know? Um, these guys from the Midwest or wherever they were from. And then I got to hear them, and it was kind of sad because they would tell me and try to really justify themselves to me. I'd say, hey, how are you? Good to see you. And they'd, they'd get in my car, and we would drive to, sometimes I would take them because the bike would take forever. So I'd just get in. You don't know how dangerous Koreatown is, especially back then. Just get in. I'll take you. All right, and then I would be playing like worship songs. Like, we like that song. That's nice. And I would turn it off. And, no, it's not for you. Um, I would turn it off. No, no, no. Let's just, let's just turn it off. And, uh, but they would tell me. They say, and so it would be really comical because as we're driving, these guys are reading every Korean sign in Korean. And I'm like, oh my gosh, you know? And some of it sounded better than what I could do, so it was annoying even more. And I was like, oh, what are you guys doing? They're like, oh, we study um, Korean for two hours every morning. Good for you. And then they say, oh, and then we study the map of this Korea town. We're in charge of it. So we know all the streets where everyone lives. And I'm like, good for you, you know. I'm not. But, you know, I, then I felt kind of sad for them. Because every time I pick them up, they'd report to me. And they would try to tell me what they're doing. And I go, here are these boys, 19 years old, and trying try to prove something to themselves. They send them two by two. And now they're in front of each other trying to prove something to themselves. And they have a God who is all about karma. If you do enough, I will give you something. And if you are unfaithful, you will be punished. Can you imagine the torture that they went through? And here are two 19-year-olds, 20-year-olds, away from home, trying to study a language that's not their own, but doing it out of the wrong reason of fear of what was to come. And this is what the brothers here are going through. And this is oftentimes what people go through when they think about approaching God. They try to avoid God, approve, find approval from God, or justify myself from God. But what we get, the gospel is so good because what we receive is not what is due, not karma, but what we get from God is mercy and grace. Mercy, again, not giving sinners what they do deserve. God withholding punishment, withholding judgment, withholding karma that could have gone. Think of it, if it was God was the holy, almighty creator God was going to now say, okay, I'm going to pay you for what you've done to me. None of us would even be here. We wouldn't have woken up this morning because there is a holy God that is bigger and transcendent and now he is saying to us, be holy as I am holy. And we go to him saying, pay me what I deserve, and he withholds, and he shows mercy. The prayer that um, uh, Israel gives to his sons before they leave is in verse 14. May God Almighty grant you mercy before the man. Mercy before the man. This is his prayer. It's interesting, when you read the Bible, and, and God is describing uh, the people of the world around us. And people are described as people without mercy. Um, Jeremiah 50, 42, they lay hold of bow and spear. They are cruel and have no mercy. This is the enemy. 
the religious leaders, the Pharisees, in Matthew 23, 23, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe, mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. They're so stickler about the law, trying to justify themselves, they don't understand mercy, and they don't demonstrate mercy. Where God, whereas God is described as full of mercy. Psalm 116.5, Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. 2 Corinthians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies. This is illustrated perfectly. That how man is without mercy, God is merciful. You know, in Jonah's story, Jonah gets swallowed up by the big fish. He's so mad that he's telling him to go to his enemies, the land of Tarshish, and to go and uh, to, uh, to go preach the good news and forgiveness. And he wants now karma to happen. He wants justice to happen. And when he gets swallowed up and God says, you're going to be this messenger of mine of forgiveness. And it says here in Jonah 4, 2, and 3, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not what I said when I was yet in my country. This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. Uh, for I knew, right, this is, he's talking to God, I knew you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relentless, relenting from disaster. He says, I knew you would forgive these people. And now you're forcing me to go. And this is now the state of himself. He said, therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. He says, I, I don't have mercy. I want what is due to them. I want retribution on what they did to my people. And God says, no, you're going to show mercy. And Jonah says, I know you are full of mercy, and I've been trying to run away. And instead of going to Nineveh, I went the other way because I didn't want that to happen to them. This is the description of God's mercy. It is in 1 Peter 2.10, describing our state. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. There's a little phrase there. It's interesting. Once you had not received mercy. It wasn't once it wasn't given or offered. It wasn't that, oh, at, at a certain time God didn't give it, but now he's chosen to give it. You look at that carefully. God says, hey, I'm going to... I'm going to take care of you. Grace and mercy. I don't want it. I can justify myself. I am good enough on my own. I don't need you, God. And God says, I want to offer my mercy and grace. Once you had not received it. And God is saying, here, let me give this to you. I don't want it. And we said no to him. And this is our pride. The sin of pride keeps us from God. And secondly, God gives his grace to us. The handful of people you count on, the fingers of maybe one or two hands that really show grace to you. Beloved spouse or parent, sibling, or a few special friends that you have grown up with. And man, you could mess up and they know all of your flaws, all of your weirdness. They know all of it and they still love you. You could call them at 11 or 12 or whenever. It doesn't matter. They might yell at you, but they will receive you. 
This is grace. Giving sinners what they do not deserve. And he says, let me do this. This is the picture of what we see here. So, uh, he replied, verse 23, Peace to you and do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks for you. I received your money. Uh, he says, God has given you these things. And this rest of the story, this is God's grace. They bring in back Simeon, the brother that was held captive in verse 23, verse 24. They bring out all the food and water. They even feed the donkeys. You remember, they thought before, you're going to take our donkeys. You're going to make us slaves, but they treat them. He is treated so well. It is Ligon Duncan who says, by the way, do you see God here disciplining them with kindness? It is kind of ironic. He is literally king killing them with kindness. God's working on their consciousness through the kindness of Joseph. He's commentating on this section. He is killing them with kindness. So they say, when you come in the house, they're all afraid to go in. You can imagine the brothers. You go first. No, you go first. You're the youngest. No, you're the oldest. You should go. I don't want to go. You go talk to the steward. Ask him if he can. And when they go in, they bring their brother out, Simeon. They're fed. They're given water. Their feet are washed. They're treated as very important guests that are going to come to a dinner meal. Remember the whole washing of feet? And when Jesus tells us to wash one another's feet, when he washes the feet of the disciples, it was to say, you are that important to me. You are that important to me. And Peter says, you cannot wash my feet. And he says, no, then you cannot have be part of the kingdom. The idea is you have to receive grace. If you are too proud to say, I cannot receive anything free. You know, oftentimes we don't want to accept any free handouts. We're too prideful. Uh, we, we don't want to have to go and explain ourselves. We're self-made. We're good. Uh, but here is a picture of grace. Paul Tripp describes the grace of God in this way. It is just so incredible, so counterintuitive, and so beyond anything else in our experience that it is very hard for us to wrap our brains around its majesty. There is no human being so creative and imaginative as to be able to pen such a story. You can read the story in Scripture and still not be blown away by its glory because you just don't have categorized to understand its depth and breadth. So we can preach the gospel over and over and the different facets of it and we will not be sick of it. And so it is at this, and I close with reading this verse in Hebrews 4.16 where the writer of Hebrews now tells us, let us then with confidence draw near the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Think about this. Who wants to approach God Almighty? You have to be careful. You have to be cautious. You have to be ready, don't you? He says, no, you can approach the throne of God with confidence. But the reader is saying, I have nothing to be confident about. I am a sinner. I am unfaithful to God. And he says, it's not about you. It's about the grace of God. So you can approach him with confidence that you may receive mercy and find grace 
There you will find it. To the surprise of Joseph's brothers, they go to a place where they thought they would receive punishment, be made slaves, but they now find grace and mercy there. Uh, What a beautiful picture of the gospel, isn't it? Uh, Today we're going to take communion, and it is a, a physical reminder The Bible tells us to do this. We are forgetful creatures, so we are told to do it over and over and over. And so all of you who are confessing Christians, in a moment it will be passed out, and I want you to partake in this with us. So let's bow our heads. Let's pray. Lord, we take this in remembrance of you, your grace and mercy that we need so much. On the night before, uh, when you were with the disciples and you explained this to them, grace and mercy found on the cross. So we thank you for this. We take this with grateful hearts, and would you bless us as we do so. We pray in Jesus' name.